This is Austin Pace with BYU-Idaho Radio, and I'm joined again today with Democrat House Representative Ilana Rubel from District 18. Thanks for joining me. Pleasure to, to, to be with you today. Perfect. So what are your thoughts on the legislative session so far? What things have gone well, and what are some things that you would like to see change? Well, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a perpetual source of frustration for me that so much time is spent on what to me are kind of silly and divisive and often harmful social issues when, you know, when I, I knock a lot of doors and I find what most people want is the really common sense bread and butter things in their life taken care of, right? They want to make sure they have good schools, that they have their roads are in good repair, that they have a safe community, that their kid can afford to pursue, you know, college training if they want, that they have affordable housing, kind of the things that let you keep a roof over your head and a paycheck in the bank and, you know, your life going on track. And then it just feels like we get in here and it's just all about other things that really nobody has ever asked me about at a door. You know, things like forcing guns into classrooms, things like changing code to define sexes so that to say that transgender people don't exist. Um, You know, just all these kooky, you know, book banning and shutting down libraries and things that uh, no person I've ever talked to at a door has ever asked for or said they want in their life. But it seems to be what we spend so much time talking about here. So I kind of wanted to dive in to a few of the bills that uh, were brought up this last week. Um, so this last week, the Idaho State Affairs Committee voted to advance House Bill 415, which would allow school staff, including teachers and bus drivers and volunteers, to carry guns on public school premises, provided they have an enhanced concealed weapons permit. And just today, um, the IEA just sent a letter to the Idaho State Senate um, addressing their concerns with the bill. So could you give me your thoughts on that and what effect you believe it's going to have on the community? Well, yeah, I I debated and strongly opposed this bill. Um, And it it was just another, you know, example of kind of forcing things down people's throat that they don't want. and th- th- we already have the ability in Idaho law that school boards, and we have local elected school boards all over the state that are chosen by the people in their community, and they have the ability to decide right now whether or not they allow you know, people to bring guns in the building, and if so, what rules they have around safety and safekeeping the weapon and training and all that. So it's really left to communities. So the communities that have made the decision that this is what they want can do it, and communities that have decided they don't want it you know, can decide not to have it. And that's really been, I think, a very successful way to approach this. And there are 15 districts in Idaho that have chosen to allow guns and they have careful protocols and the remainder have decided they don't want to. And there are some good reasons for deciding you don't want to. I mean, bad things have happened where, you know, a teacher forgets a gun in a bathroom stall and a six-year-old finds it or they leave it in the drawer of their desk and a kid finds it or they, you know, they're not necessarily trained the way law enforcement are trained to have good aim. So even in a crisis, they may accidentally shoot a student or the police come and they think the teacher is the bad guy because the teacher's holding a gun and they shoot the teacher. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to think that it does not make your school safer to have teachers and volunteers and bus drivers with guns. And so those school districts decided not to. Um, but what this bill, House 415, does is it forces the districts who don't want to have guns to have them. It, it overrides the decisions made by those local elected bodies and says, like it or not, we're going to make you allow guns in your schools, uh, which just as a basic question of local control and letting communities decide what's good for them is very, very frustrating to me. And I live in one of those communities that absolutely doesn't want this. And so it's really frustrating to have people from other parts of the state come into my part of the state and say, like it or not, you have to have guns in your schools. Just today, as I as I kind of spoke about, 
the IEA sent in a letter addressing their concerns, where they're thinking, okay, this is not something that everybody wants. Could you dive in a little bit deeper on why you think there's there's so much concern? Oh, absolutely. And this was another very infuriating part of the bill to me, where when we when we got to our chairs, we often have letters on our desks waiting for us saying this group supports it, this group opposes it, and you know, we can see who's for it and who's against it. And the people against this bill are basically everybody who has a real dog in the fight. It's it's the Idaho Education Association, which is the teachers association. Um, there's the school resource offices, who, who are the police officers who are charged with guarding schools. They're the ones who would actually have to rush in if there is a shooter. Um, it was opposed by the school boards association, the people actually who run the schools and who would get sued if something goes wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, I got emails from over 500 parents in my district saying who have kids in there who would get shot and they don't want it. Um, But the only letter on my desk in support was from Fairfax, Virginia, from the National Rifle Association. So basically, we were put in a position where I said, yes, I know everybody here in Idaho who actually is in a position where they will get shot in a school shooting and who actually has a kid in the classroom or a teacher in the classroom or is responsible for classroom security, they all oppose the bill. But we should ignore all of them because there's this powerful lobby group from the other side of the country that says we should pass it. And it was very frustrating. I was talking now, of course, all the Democrats oppose this bill, but I talked to many of my Republican friends who said they thought it was a bad bill, but they felt they had to vote for it anyway because they didn't dare go against the NRA because in their elections, it's fatal to have a bad rating from the NRA. So we had a situation where this special interest group from across the country basically defeated and nullified the voices of everybody from inside Idaho who actually, you know, has a real interest in what happens here. Um, It was just, I feel like, politics at its absolute worst. And as a parent with four kids and kids that all went to Boise Public Schools, it really worries me. You know, I feel a lot safer, you know, with my kids in a gun-free zone. I am not excited at all about having who knows who have a gun in their classroom. The parents have no way to find out. The school has no way to say no if somebody comes and says they want to have a gun in there. So um, as a parent, I feel a lot less safe. And I'm really angry that my interests were put on the back seat to some lobbyist from 4,000 miles away. So I, I'd like to talk about House Bill 381 relating to preborn children. The bill is meant to revise the terminology of current terms with relation to preborn children. So could you tell me a little bit about House Bill 381 and what the intention of the bill is? Well, you know, the, the, the bill, you know, you'd have to ask the sponsor about the intention of the bill, but I'm certainly very concerned about the effects of the bill uh, because it's, there are a lot of potential legal repercussions when you start considering an embryo to be a preborn child, you know, implicit with all of the rights that would come with a postborn child, if you will. Uh, and, and there are a lot, a lot of aspects to it there where we don't even know what the legal fallout will be. You know, one of the real concerns that actually got the bill held up in committee related to in vitro fertilization, uh, where, you know, you basically have, a, you know, two cell embryo in a Petri dish um, and people who are trying, who have difficulty having children will generate a bunch of embryos in the hopes that one of them is healthy enough to implant. This has been a life-saving miracle for so many families and it's been the only way they're allowed, they're, they've been able to have children is through this process. 
But the upshot of it is, you know, they might make 10 embryos and pick the one that's the healthiest. And then the other nine don't become, you know, don't get implanted and they ultimately get discarded. Uh, and again, this is, you know, a two of four cell embryo. And this is, you know, if you start considering that a preborn child, uh, and then when you discard this, you know, two cells in a Petri dish, then you've just murdered a child. Um, that's a real problem. And that basically could potentially shut down in vitro fertilization, which has been the path to be, to having a family for thousands of people. Um, so it's, you know, it's sort of funny, you know, in the name of being pro-life, I think they're going to end up shutting out a lot of people who support life and want to have babies. Uh, so that was a big concern. I think, you know, there were a lot of other things when you start brainstorming, you know, I don't know, maybe you can't send pregnant women to prison because you're sending a preborn child to prison who hasn't had a trial. Uh, maybe, maybe people start getting their tax credits and whatnot for their child, you know, a year before they were actually born because they had a preborn child. Um, there are a lot of legal repercussions that I think were not well thought through in this bill. I think it was sort of brought by, you know, people wanting to shake their fist about how pro-life they are. And maybe it was another effort to sort of really, really, really underscore how bad abortion is in their minds or something. I mean, it's a bit unnecessary because abortion is totally banned in Idaho right now. So I think this bill doesn't really do anything in terms of further banning abortion, but it might really end up banning other things that people really didn't intend to ban. Um, so it was held in committee. I don't know if it's going to come back, uh, but it did get called back. In, in, in committee because of all the, the legal problems that it had with it. What is the future of this bill? What What's happening right now to further the progression of this bill? Um, I have no idea. It was pulled back. It's sitting there. It may not go anywhere. I mean, it might be dead completely. I haven't heard. I mean, I'm certainly not a bill I'm looking to bring, so I'm not trying to save it. <laughs> but there was another bill that's coming to the floor tomorrow that's sort of in the same vein that changes, you know, the definitions in Idaho code of sex and gender to basically say, you know, there are only two sexes and it is only what your sex is at birth and whether you have physiologically, you know, bodies that produce eggs or that produce sperms and nothing else exists. Um, so there was a lot of very passionate testimony from people who are intersex or consider themselves non-binary or transgender, and they're just very frustrated that their government is basically trying to pass laws saying, you know, you don't even exist. So that's another one that's kind of definitional, but very upsetting to a lot of people and may have repercussions in terms of, you know, will all the transgender people's driver's licenses suddenly be nullified? Are they going to be you know, people who have fully transitioned? Are they going to now not be able to live their life anymore as the gender they transition to? So, um, you know, and it, and it felt, frankly, it feels to me very mean spirited. I mean, this bill is not going to you know, it's not going to give us better schools. It's not going to give us better roads. It's not going to lower anybody's taxes. I mean, really, the only thing it will do is make people who fall in this category feel unwelcome and persecuted. So on to our next topic. On January 30th, Idaho 4th District Court Judge Scott dismissed Attorney General Raul Labrador's lawsuit against the Idaho State Board of Education. So could you tell me a little oh, bit oh, more oh. about General Labrador's initial lawsuit and your thoughts on the dismissal of the lawsuit? Yeah, I mean, this was one of a whole slew of lawsuits that he came out with when he became attorney general. Um, and just a little bit of background, it's been very awkward for the state agencies, right? So the state has all these agencies that are responsible for running different aspects of the government, you know, the Department of Health and Welfare, the Department of Athletics, the Department of you know, edu Education, the Board of Education, all that. And they these agencies actually need lawyers, right? They have many federal laws they have to comply with. They have state laws they have to comply with. So they 
are constantly having to go and seek legal advice and their lawyer is the attorney general. So historically, when they need to consult, they have to go to the attorney general and that is their lawyer. So it's really put these agencies in a pickle when as soon as attorney general Labrador came in, he started suing all the agencies. So it basically left these agencies in a pickle where they can't turn to their lawyer because their lawyer is suing them. And basically the, you know, the, 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 the office that they always used to turn to for legal advice is now very hostile and is suing them at every turn. So it's left them in a difficult situation to get the legal advice they need. Uh, so there was a lawsuit against the health and welfare folks. That one's still going through. There's the lawsuit against the state board of education, which I understand was just thrown out. It's been kind of percolating along for a year or so. That one related to the University of Idaho's acquisition of the University of Phoenix. And it had to do with a, a meeting and whether the meeting was properly publicly noticed or not. And so Raul Labrador was trying to freeze the whole transaction by saying that the initial meeting where they approved it was not properly publicly noticed, uh, given no, you know, notice to the public that the public can show up. And then the University of Idaho was saying in response that this was a meeting that didn't have to be noticed to the public because it had secret information and it had to do with, and there is an exception. Most meetings are supposed to be public because we like to have a you know transparent government, but there are some exceptions if you're like engaged in secret business negotiations and you're discussing what price you're willing to offer or things like that, that obviously you wouldn't want to be public because you would lose all your negotiating leverage if it was completely in the newspaper, <laughs> all of your deliberations about what your price negotiations are. So they said, you know, because they were in competitive negotiations with other potential acquirers, um, they didn't have to invite the public to it and it wouldn't have been appropriate to invite the public to it. Uh, so that was really what the whole fight was over. Um, and it looks like the State Board of Education just won and they, they succeeded in convincing the judge that this was not a meeting that had to be public. And so, you know, the, 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 the Attorney General was barking up the wrong tree there. Do you expect Attorney General Labrador to continue to fight that to continue to fight his case or do you think that it is it's just it's done it's over with there's no more I debate don't know yeah, I don't know how much further there is to take it. I think, and again, I've been running around a committee all day. We had a big hearing today on reversing Medicaid expansion and all kinds of stuff. I thought it was the Supreme Court that struck his thing. So I don't know that he has anywhere else to turn. I think his, I think he has officially lost the case. And I don't know if there's a further avenue for him to appeal it right now. So what are some things that you're looking forward to for week five of the legislative session? Yeah, I well, I have my two bills that I'm working on right now. They're both bipartisan bills, and I, uh, I'm really looking forward to those getting off the ground soon. We keep having people who come in and want more amendments and want changes, so it's we keep getting these false starts. But one of them relates to deep fakes in elections, which I think is a really big deal, and I'm really looking forward to getting that passed. Um, that pertains, you know, there's all this artificial intelligence technology where you can generate deep fake videos and audios of anybody you want saying just about anything, and you you can imagine how damaging that will be in elections when they put out a fake video of somebody, you know, saying something that is not their position or a fake. They did this to Joe Biden in the New Hampshire primary where they sent out a fake audio of his voice that sounded just like him saying, oh, I want to make sure nobody comes out and votes on Tuesday. You, you know, you need you to stay home. Um, you could completely steal an election, right, by sending out an audio recording of your opponent's voice saying, oh, I've decided to drop out of the race and endorse my opponent. So I want you all to come out next Tuesday and vote for 
for my opponent. Um, it would basically, you know, end the integrity of elections as we know it. So I have a bill I'm working on with a Republican representative, Bruce Skog, to um, rein that in and allow people to get to have courts freeze those and 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 in their tracks, and you get pretty good money damages if somebody does that to you. Um, so we're trying to address the deep fake thing. And another one that I have that I'm excited about relates to fentanyl detection strips. So almost every state has legalized these are these little paper strips that you can use to test and make sure that whatever substance you have, it does not have fentanyl in it. As I'm sure you've heard about all the fentanyl fatalities. And a lot of those are people who are not intending to take fentanyl, but it was laced um, you know, without their knowledge into something that they ate or snorted or who knows what, um, or smoked. Um, so uh, these strips are very cheap. They're, you know, a dollar each, and you can just test something to make sure you're not getting poisoned with fentanyl. The problem is that Idaho law bans them and considers these strips to be drug paraphernalia. So no other states are, well, there are six other states that, that ban fentanyl strips, but they're all in the midst of bringing bills to unban them. So probably within two months, Idaho is going to be the only state left that bans them. I think it's very silly that they're banned. I want people to be able to test things and make sure that they're not getting accidentally poisoned. There's no harm that can come from a fentanyl strip. You know, the strip itself isn't going to get you high. Uh, it, it'll just, you know, maybe save your life by letting you test something and make sure that, you know, when a vape cartridge or something hasn't been laced with fentanyl. So I have that bill with uh, Representative Marco Rubio, actually from your neck of the woods over in East Idaho. And we are looking to get that run soon. That was Democrat House Representative Elena Rubel from District 18. Thanks again for joining me, Representative. Thanks, Austin. You have a great day.